0: Okay, so last week uh, I put this picture up and I found that this painting I find to be very compelling. And we were talking, last, last week we talked about Mary, right? And we talked about how uh, there's just this opportunity right there within the story of Mary there in, in Luke 1 of, of how she really experiences joy and we really see how God gives us joy by blessing us. He gives, brings us blessings. And one of the things we talked about was that God operates in the unseen realm and he crosses over into the seen realm and he operates in both and sometimes, as it shows us in scripture he's sort of opened up that unseen realm for people to see and I love this picture because it's of course the shepherds there and the the angels and we all kind of know the story that's what we're going to talk about today and I think there's that connection of wow, we get a chance to see the unseen realm and so today we're going to be uh, in Luke chapter 2, we're going to do verses 8 to 20 if you want to follow along uh, in your Bibles. Uh, I'm going to put on the screen here and I'll just go ahead and read it and then we'll, we'll talk about uh, some things we can pull out of the passage. So um, starting there again in verse 8, and we're all familiar with this, right? We're all familiar with this story, we're probably all familiar with this passage, um, but as we read it, let's just pay attention to what's going on here, maybe in a fresh way. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And so there's the passage. So let's start with one simple question. Why shepherds? Right? Sometimes we can get so familiar with these stories. We've heard it so many times. We hear it every year. There's all sorts of versions of it. So you oh, go, yeah, the shepherds. Sometimes we don't stop to ask why. Why were there shepherds? Why were these guys, why this? Why are they part of this story? I think you can even say, well, why did God pick shepherds? There's all different kinds of people there wandering around outside of Jerusalem and, and in Bethlehem, right? He could have picked uh, merchants or tax collectors or innkeepers or garbage collectors. I don't know. There's all different kinds of things he could have picked, all kinds of people he could have picked, but for some reason, God picked shepherds. And why is that? Have you ever asked that? Why is that? Well, I asked that question, and I thought, well, why? And I. I did a little research and I came up with a few ideas and these are just some ideas of why God chose to sort of announce this to shepherds. I don't know if any one of them is more right than the other. Maybe they're all true or maybe there's other things. But here's three reasons why I think God maybe picked shepherds. The first one is because Jesus would be known as a shepherd. Eventually, as Jesus came and became a man and started his ministry, he became known as the shepherd, and we even saw this sort of foretold in uh, Psalm 23, we're all familiar with this verse, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. God tells us he's the one who watches over us, he's a shepherd to us, we're like a bunch of dumb sheep, he is a shepherd, and so clearly we see that Jesus is God and Jesus is the shepherd. We also see in Luke 12, Jesus himself, in his own words, he says, Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Fear not, little flock. Jesus is speaking here and he says, You are my sheep, you are my flock. The implication is he is what? The shepherd. Another verse John 10, 10 and 11, Jesus again, he says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus says, I am the shepherd above all other shepherds. 1 Peter 2, 25. Here's Peter, the one who... Walked with Jesus, was closest to Jesus, saw Jesus, was there, went through all of it, and Peter says, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. And he's talking about Jesus there. So Jesus would be known and is known to us as the shepherd. So that's one idea. Maybe God chose to include the shepherds there in this story as the place where he announced it because Jesus would be known as a shepherd, and there's a parallel there. A second idea is that by declaring it to shepherds, he was actually fulfilling prophecy. Prophecy that had been made a long, long time before that. Well, what is that? Let's go to that. Some of us are familiar with uh, the prophecies from Micah. Micah maybe you're not familiar with this first part, but you probably are with the second one. The first part in Micah 4, 7 and 8, it says the Lord will reign over them in Mount Zion from this time forth and forevermore, and you O tower of the flock, hill of the daughter of Zion, to you shall it come. And it goes on in Micah 5 it says, but you O Bethlehem Ephrathath, I think I said that right, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old From Ancient of Days. So here we have a prophecy about where the Messiah, the Christ, the Savior of the world would come from. And I think most of us understand, we've heard that. Oh, oh, little town of Bethlehem. Yeah, right. Oh, because this fulfills a prophecy that was made a long time ago. And so we see that, we understand it. But let's go back to that first part of the verse. And it says, Tower of the Flock. Tower of the flock. What is that? Tower of the flock? What does that mean? Well, if you go back to the Hebrew, the word for that is migdal eder. I hope I pronounced that right. I don't know if I did there. You see it on the screen. That's the terminology in Hebrews. In Hebrew that says tower of the flock. We translate it in our translations. as says tower, is the tower of the flock. Well, what is that? Well, if you look at what the Bible scholars say, they say, yeah, in Israel, at that time... Flocks of sheep were looked over by not just shepherds, but by towers. And you can kind of, I don't know if you can see these pictures, this painting sort of depicts it. And the background is this tower. So you can kind of imagine this practical scenario. You've got sheep, and you've got a bunch of flocks, and you know, you don't just have necessarily ten sheep. If you own the sheep, you've probably got a bunch, and you've got to keep track of them all. Well, a shepherd can only watch the few that he can watch. And so there's the shepherds and they're kind of the the ground troops and they're in charge of this little flock and then there's a tower and the tower sort of sits on a hill and looks out and someone can sit up there and keep track of all of the different little groups of sheep that are going around the shepherds, right? So that's what it was talking about. The tower of the flock, that's what it's referring to. You get a picture, there's a picture of it. However, that term Migdal Eder, it wasn't just sort of a general term. It actually in this time was a very specific term and it referred to something specifically and that specific thing was a geographic place. If you were there in Israel walking around there at the birth of Christ and someone said Migdal Eder, you'd go, oh, it's that place. Well, where do you suppose that place was? Here's Google Earth. And they don't know exactly where it was. But generally speaking, it's here. And so I'm not sure if you can see on this picture. But right here at the bottom, it says Bethlehem. So down here is the town of Bethlehem. Yeah, it's still there today. And up here behind this red line is the southern outskirts of Jerusalem. And so this area right here, in here, if you were walking around at that point in time and someone said Migdal Eder, they'd go, oh yeah, here, in that place. It's somewhere, it's in there. So it was a specific place between Bethlehem and Jerusalem. Isn't that interesting? Now, you go further, and if we look to... <clears throat> there's this, uh, this document we have called the Mishnah. Now, it's not the Bible, it's not Scripture, but it's a collection of where they've gone and, and they wrote down a bunch of Jewish oral traditions. Right. So the Jews, much of it was orally transmitted, and they had all these traditions, and they had all these things, but it kind of becomes history, and at some point it was written down. And it dates from about 500 B.C. to about 100 A.D., right? So right in this time frame when Christ was born. And in this Mishnah, it says that there were sheep kept in this area. We go, oh, that's cool. But they weren't just any ordinary sheep. They weren't the sheep that were just for wool and meat and to go to market. What do you suppose they were for? It was for sacrifices at the temple. So the sheep that were there to go to the temple to be sacrificed to cover the sins, you know, as part of the Jewish religion, were kept right here in this place. So chances are pretty good that these shepherds in this Christmas story were looking over sheep that were destined to be the sacrifices in the temple, right? And so we know that's the case. We know that, you know, I love the Sunday school picture, sort of a little picture of, hey, this is how they did it. They said, okay, we're going to bring the sheep. It's a sacrifice to, to pay, to cover the sins. And they took it to the temple and had this burnt offering. And then isn't it interesting... Jesus begins his ministry and he shows up at the Jordan River and there's John the Baptist. And John the Baptist says, What about him? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So can you see the parallel? Jesus, the Lamb of God, the one who would become the ultimate sacrifice for our sins, was born in this place where these sheep would go to sacrifice our sins. You see that? Do you see that parallel? I think that's really cool. I think that might be another reason why God chose to include the shepherds in this place at this time in this story. A third reason, and I think it's maybe a little bit simpler, is just that the shepherds were on the low rung of society. They were on the low rung of society. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, let's sort of follow it out here. When you think about sheep, you go, what is the thing that the people would really interact with, with the sheep? Well, like I said, it would be meat or wool or, you know, the temple sacrifice, right? So here's this thing, and they, they, that's the thing people interact with. Well, the thing comes from a sheep, right? So the sheep is really the thing that provides that. It's just a dumb animal, right? That's what it provides. Well, who owns and manages that thing? Well... Shepherds, right? And there's someone wealthy, probably, who was over, like I said, in the watchtower. There's somebody who was in control of that. And then there's the shepherds who are just providing care for that thing that somebody else has owned, that that thing turns into something that people interact with, right? So we're stepping further and further away. And now we get to well, the thing needs care at night. Who wants to, you know, who wants to take care of some dumb animal at night? Nobody, right? So it's like the least senior people, all these steps removed. And so they were just at the low rung of society. They were sort of the, the last of the Okay, you want that job, you can watch the sheep at night. I'm sure this sheep smelled wonderful too. And so you go, why is this important? Well, we go back to Luke chapter 2. And they say, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. This is the angel speaking. He says, not that great joy, that good news is for who? All the people. Well, if he proclaimed that message to a king or to a rich man, or somebody high in society, they'd be like, well, all people for me up. But he goes and he proclaims it to the low rung of society, and saying, yeah, no, it is for all people. Look, I'm talking to you on your low rung of your society and up. And that's the central news of the gospel. It's for all people in all places in all time. And I think that might be another reason why God chose to present it to shepherds. So, regardless of this question, why the shepherds, right? I think that's kind of a neat thing as you start to think about that background. I think there's something more obvious that we ought to tackle in this story, and that's the glory of God. This is this opportunity, this, this chance, this incident, where we have this huge contrast between God's glory and humanity it 's important for us to look at that, and I think really, when we go back to the passage, I think the passage is in a lot of ways all about glory, right? So if you pull out the parts of this passage, first it says, "An angel of the Lord appeared to the shepherds, and the what glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear, and then later it says, there was an angel there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God, and they were saying, Glory." To God in the highest on earth, peace among those with whom He's pleased. And then at the end, the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. So, see that word glory? It occurs three times here, right in this very short story. If you go back to the Greek, each time the same word, doxa, is used, D-O-X-A. That's the word that is used, and its meaning varies a little bit based on how the word is used. But let's go ahead and walk through this passage and these three things of glory and see how they kind of play together. So the first glory is this, the shepherds see a glimpse of God. And so in this instance, we have the word glory, it's the Greek doxa. And if we go to the meaning of that, the meaning is luminescence, brightness, radiance, splendor, the shining or shining forth of something, gleam or glow. So in this case, glory is a noun. And a noun names a person, place, thing, activity, or idea, right? And we go, okay, so it's a noun, so it's an object, it's a thing, it's tangible, it's observable, it's objective. And I think if you if you want to put your mind to it and think about the creator of the universe, you go, well, he probably has some pretty amazing glory, right? And we go, okay, so God has this glory and it's shown right here, and yet we also recognize it's shown here, and this is unique because we don't generally see this kind of glory. Now, I think we see the glory of God, we look at creation, we look at life, if you have children, and you have a little baby, and you go, wow, this is like a picture of God's glory here. But all that is just a picture. And here, in this case, God breaks that barrier between unseen and seen, and His glory becomes apparent. And God only does this. We look at the Scripture. God only does this in very specific instances, right? And so let's go through a couple of those elsewhere in Scripture. The first example is going to be Moses. And so we go to Exodus 33 and 34, and God's having this conversation with Moses, and the Lord says to Moses, This very thing that you have spoken I will do, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Which is a really cool thing to say anyway. But Moses says, Please show me your Glory. God says, Well, I make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. But you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. And then Exodus 34, the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord and the Lord passed before him. So God reveals his glory there to Moses and you go, well, what was that about? Why did he do that? Well, that passage, that is where the Ten Commandments are given to Moses. So it's this very important event, the giving of the law, the summation of the law right there in that moment. And I think we can note from this, hey, God's glory is so great, we can't look at his face in our sinful nature. So I think that's interesting. Second example here would be Peter, James, and John in the New Testament. If you look in Luke chapter 9, Jesus took with him Peter and John and James. and went up on the mountain to pray, and as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered, and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. And as the men were parting from him, Peter said to Jesus, "Master, it's good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah." Not knowing what he said. And he was saying these as he was saying these things a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid, as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, "This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him." And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone. And so again we see God revealing his glory and he's doing it here at another really important moment which is saying, this is my son. Pay attention to what he's saying. So we go back to the shepherds. Right? Did they know what they were seeing? This thing happens. Whatever it was, whatever it looks like and the glory of the Lord shone around them. Did they know what was happening? I think they probably did. I think because none of us have ever experienced the glory of God. If you go home and you're sitting at home reading a book or watching the Broncos game or whatever you're doing this afternoon, all of a sudden the glory of the Lord appears to you, you're going to know it's the glory of the Lord. So these guys saw it and what was their reaction? They were terrified. I don't know if they used the word eek or not. But I thought that was, I thought that was good. But I think this is great, right? They're terrified. And the angel says, don't be. He says, fear not. Yes, it's the glory of the Lord. But don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. That's really unexpected. You see something that's terrifying, something that goes, oh my gosh, is crazy. Don't be afraid. Whoa. They'll give you pause. And that leads to the next thing, which is the message of the angels, and the the, the shepherds are told to give praise to God. Suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest. Now I know we're familiar with that. We're familiar with that phrase Because we hear that in the songs, right? And we hear that every Christian. Oh yeah, glory to God in the highest. But what you may not realize is they're not just saying something. That word glory is a verb. And the subject of that verb is you. This is an imperative verb that is giving a command. That is saying you give glory to God in the highest. It is a command, it is a verb, it's telling them what to do. If we go to that definition of that, that version of doxa in the Greek, it's to offer honor, prestige, respect, renown, fame, distinction, notoriety, recognition, approval. The shepherds are told to give this kind of response because they've just experienced the glory of God. They're told to give glory because of the glory. Why? Well, they're given two reasons. It's not just, oh, just do this. They're given two reasons. The first reason they're told to do this is because, hey, the Savior has been sent to earth. He's been looking for this for a long time. We've all needed this. He can save everybody. He's the one who can pay the penalty for our sins. He's been sent to earth right here by you. That's pretty cool. And it'll be for everybody, including you guys on that low rung, right? It's also because God is bringing peace to mankind. Peace on earth. Peace on earth. And when he's saying peace, I think we've got to read this the right way. He's not talking about the absence of war. Jesus would go on and talk about that some too, but it's not about the absence of war. It's about the restoration of the relationship between God and sinners between God and me, between God and you. That's the peace he's talking about. And those are things where you say, praise God because these things are coming. I'd love that they're not told to give glory to God in the vacuum. They've said, hey, look, here's the deal. Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. By the way, this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in swallowing cloths and lying in a manger. All of that stuff they would understand. And they're given something to verify. They're not just saying, hey, he was born, be excited. They're saying, no, he was born, and you can go verify it. You can go find it out, go over there. You know what the city of David is. You know what a manger is. You go find him, you'll see him, and you can testify that that is going on. And that's what they do. They go off and they verify it. And that leads us to the third thing, which is the shepherds respond by giving praise to God. So it says the shepherds return glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. Now, in this case, glory, doxa, takes the form as glorifying, which is doxazo. I sound like I'm a Greek scholar, but I'm not. But it's a verb. It's a verb that expresses action. Again, now, technically, if you want to get technical with the grammar, it's actually a gerund, which is a verb acting as a noun. But that's fine. I won't go grammar nerdy on you too much. But it means this, in this case, to bring honor, to recognize as great, important, or excellent, to exalt to a position of honor or treat with honor. So look back at that verse. We can see that the shepherds, as I can make it out, really had three facets of responding in praise. And let's go through those three things. The first thing they did to praise God was they returned. You know, how is that praising God? They returned. I think it means they returned to their ordinary lives on that low rung of society. They went and saw this amazing thing. The the seen, the unseen realm was ripped apart. The angels appeared. They spoke to them. They said, go find this out. They went and found it out. And then they went back to what they were doing. They went back to what they were doing. And I think this is very different than maybe how things would have transpired in America, right? You would have had this thing and it would have been, oh, right. Well, I'm going to put this on Instagram. I'm going to put this on Twitter. I'm going to write a blog about it. And it'd lead to instant fame and you'd go on the talk show circuit, kind of like the double rainbow guy or whatever it was, right? And you'd be, oh man, that guy saw the glory of God. These guys just went and they went back and they returned to their lives. And it shows us that we can praise God by living out the life he's given us. We can experience the glory of God. and It doesn't mean everything has to be turned on its head. We can go, wow, we can praise God and continue on with the life that we have, giving glory to God right where we are. I think the second thing they do to give praise to God is they share what they'd seen and heard. Yes, they returned to their lives, but they spoke about it. They shared what they saw. The glory of God once experienced is contagious and you can't contain it, can you? They returned to their lives and they did not remain silent about what they had seen. And so we can see in this case, the sharing of the good news is a way to praise God, isn't it? The shepherds modeled that for us there. The third thing I see is that they were filled with joy. Now, that's not explicit, right? It doesn't say in the verse, and they were filled with joy, but I think if you look at that word praising, you get the impression that these guys are pretty excited. These guys are pretty joyful. There's some really cool stuff that has just happened to them. And so you put it all together. God reveals His physical glory. He reveals His glory, and He gives the message and says, here's the good news. Salvation is to all people, including you. And the result is joy, as it should be. So why is all of this important about the shepherds? Why is this an important thing? Is it, you know, okay, it fulfills prophecy, and, you know, the shepherds, it tells us it's for all people, but I think there's something we can take from this. I think what we can take is that the shepherds are giving us a pattern of how we can live life. How we can praise God? How we can be filled with joy too? Here is what I mean. First, I think we see that God gives us a glimpse of Him. He gives us a glimpse of His glory. Now, you might think about that. You go, ah, you know, I've never really seen like the sky split open and like thousands or millions of angels like that picture. I've I've never seen that. No one's ever told me, hey, Jesus was born over there. Like, what do you mean? I've seen His glory. I haven't seen His glory. I go, well. I think you have. I think he's given us glimpses of his glory maybe in other things. I think if we read the scripture, if you study the scripture and you get into it and you really understand what's going on, you go, wow. Even what we saw today, prophecy fulfilled from hundreds and hundreds of years before an event happens. That is really cool. That is a picture of the glory of God. Sometimes we have things happen in our life, in our circumstances. In our gospel group, we talked about that on Friday. We talked about instances where God was revealing himself in circumstances. Sometimes you can think about relationships and the, the, uh, the family that we have. God can reveal himself there. And ultimately, the good news, the gospel, is God's glory, isn't it? The gospel which says, hey, I'm a sinner, I can't work my way to God. And Jesus came and he paid the penalty by dying, the death on the cross for me. That good news is the glory of God. So God gives us a glimpse of him just like he did with these shepherds. And then he says, give glory to God. What do you do? Give glory to God. We're told to give glory to God. Well, how are we told to give glory to God? Well, here's a couple of scriptures that tell us that. Psalm 86.12 I give thanks to you, O Lord my God, with my whole heart, and I will glorify your name forever. We'll give glory to God. 1 Corinthians 6.20 For you are bought with a price, so glorify God. Glorify God in your body. 1 Corinthians 6.20 tells us to glorify God. 1 Corinthians 10.31 Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, Do all, why? To the glory of God. Do all to the glory of God. So we are called to give glory to God. And so finally our response, the shepherds give us a pattern that our response should be to indeed glorify God. We do this in many ways. We do this in our lives. The shepherds returned and lived out their lives. We also should live out our lives as glory to God. As giving glory to God. As giving praise to God. We're also supposed to glorify God in our witness. In sharing the good news and what Christ has done in our lives with others. We're also supposed to glorify God with our joy. As it fills our hearts. It should come out in our speech. It should come out in our actions. So that's what I think we want to take from this passage. It's my hope and my prayer that each one of us today, this week, this month, going forward, that we would be looking for God's glory. We would be listening. Listening for His command to give Him glory and we would be looking for ways to respond by giving glory to God. I'll pray and we'll close. And God, I thank you for this passage. I thank you for your scripture. I thank you for recording this story, Lord. And as I think about the Christmas story, I think, man, there probably was a whole lot more details than were summed up in these 12 verses. But I think you put the important ones there. And God, I think when you tell us about glory and your glory and how we should respond to your glory, it's encouraging to me. Lord, I pray that each one of us would be refocused on what the purpose of our life and our hearts, where they should be directed. God, I thank you for ordaining this story, for fulfilling prophecy in it, for declaring that this good news, this story this, of Jesus and what he was going to do would be for all people, in all places, at all times. I'm so thankful for that. Lord, help us to live it out, help us to to find joy and to give glory to you as we go about our weeks here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.